0: Today is uh, part four of our series called Ask It. And what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is looking at probably the question that answers every other question that you could ever possibly have in life. It's a question you can use to filter any decisions that you have, any opportunities that you have. Hopefully you've memorized it by now. If you haven't, uh, we're gonna put it up on the screen here for you. The question is simply this. Everybody, let's say it together, ready? In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, My future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? How many of you have been asking this question? You've you've been doing this a little bit? You've been starting to apply it a little bit to your life? You're you're asking the question, what is the wise thing for me to do? So what we've done is uh, basically back in week one, we talked about why you would want to ask the question. And then in week two, we talked about if you don't ask the question, what are the three alternatives uh, to asking the question, what does that make you? If you're not asking, if you're not a wise person. And then uh, last week we talked about how do you apply this question to your time. When it comes to the the proper use of your time, how do you ask this particular question and filter everything through it? Now what I want to do today is I want to look at another area of your life that you need to filter everything through. If you don't ask this question in this particular area we're going to talk about today, You are going to ruin your life. You're going to have a lot of problems. You're going to have a lot of regrets, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. As we get started today, let me uh, just sort of make an observation. Isn't it true that when you're tempted to do something you know you shouldn't do, that you and I, we have this amazing ability to talk ourselves into it? All of a sudden, we become like the world's best salesperson. We like sell ourselves on why it's such a good idea that I would do this. Now, you know you shouldn't. But yet you think, well, here's why I should. Here's why it's okay. Or here's why it's okay for me to do it this one time. And inevitably what happens is like just even a couple seconds after you do it, or sometimes it takes a couple days or maybe even a couple weeks, You start going, stupid, 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 stupid. Why did I do this? Why? Oh, man, why why did I do this? What in the world was I thinking? Let me tell you exactly what you were thinking. You were thinking this. There's nothing wrong with that. You ever said this before? You know you shouldn't do something, But yet, what you do, you you start rationalizing it in your mind. You start convincing yourself, well, there's actually nothing wrong with that. But then you do it anyway, and then you have all this pain and heartache and regret, and you go, man, that was such a dumb, dumb decision that I just made there. Now, am I the only one that's ever done this, or you, you want to admit that you sometimes do these? Yeah, okay, thank you. Here's the thing. If you're taking notes this morning, here's, here's the first thing we need to realize. Realize that it's a really bad idea for me to assume that just because something isn't wrong, that it must be right. It's a bad idea to assume that just because something isn't wrong, that it must be right. This is what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. It's not about just asking, is this the, the right thing to do or is this the, the legal type of thing to do. You've, you've got to ask, is this the wise thing to do? As followers of Jesus, we're called to a higher standard than simply, is it right? We're called to ask, is it wise? Is it going to help me to become as close to Jesus as I possibly can become? And so again, what I want to do today is I want to take a look at this uh, different area of life and sort of filter this particular area of life uh, and, and let me just go ahead and say what it is. We're going to look at your morality today. How do you use this question as it pertains to your morality? More specifically, we're going to look at sexuality. By the way, I should have warned beforehand, parents, this is a PG-13 message, okay? However, let me say this, parents, your kids are already hearing a bunch of this stuff anyway. So <laughs> wouldn't you rather them hear it from their pastor than from their schoolmates, Right? Or what they're getting from, you know, music and and movies and television and stuff. Wouldn't you rather get the biblical perspective of it? So I'll I'll keep it rather clean, but be be prepared. You're probably going to have to answer some questions today, okay? All right. With that said, if you need to leave with your kids, go ahead and head out, but I'd encourage you to to stay. All right. Partially the reason that I wanted to talk about this particular area was a couple weeks ago, I was down in uh, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania for our uh, triennial conference for the Churches of God, which is our denomination. Uh, Nate and Allison Buck, they were there as well. And what this is, is every three years, all the churches from the Churches of God gather together. And when I say all of them, actually it isn't all of them, because you send elected representatives. So myself and Nate, we were both elected. I don't know how that happened. Oh, you weren't elected? You just showed up on your own? Sucker. What in the world? (laughs) No, it was actually good, wasn't it? Uh, okay, so I got elected uh, to actually be there to be one of the representatives for the eastern region of the uh, conference and sort of some of the things that had to be voted on. Uh, so anyway, we're there for this thing. And unlike our, our, maybe I shouldn't say this, I'll say it anyway, right? Because they, they don't listen to my messages. Uh, our eastern regional conference that we have every year is usually pretty boring because it's just a bunch of reports and committee things and voting and business stuff. The triennial thing actually is a lot of fun. This is the uh, the couple times I've now been to to this thing. Uh, Because they they stay away from a lot of the business stuff. And actually, it's just a great chance for churches literally from all around the world to gather together. And again, in this case, it was so great because it was at my previous church down in Chambersburg. So I didn't have to travel very far. I mean, we had people there from, what, India and... Sweden, and, and Haiti, and I mean, just people from all around the world uh, were at this thing. So it was really cool that it was just in Chambersburg. But uh, anyway, they always do these things where they try to inspire us, because not only are we gathering together and seeing people maybe we haven't seen for many years, but they, they want to inspire us that this is sort of the state of the union, so to speak, and here's how you can go back to your church and be more effective. And so they brought in this one particular speaker, his name is Christopher Yuan, and I'm not going to get into his whole story right now, because in some way we're going to try to share his story with you because you really need to hear it. But it was this awesome testimony of how he had gotten delivered from like lots and lots of various sexual types of sins. Fantastic testimony. But when he started his presentation, he gave a statistic that just, I was like blown away by it. And so I want to share that statistic with you this morning, but then I've researched and done some things, and I'm going to add some other ones in as well, just so you can get sort of a grasp of just how much sexual immorality uh, has to do or is a part of our uh, culture and society. So with that being said, there are a lot of billion-dollar industries in our country, right? Think of, of things like uh, network television. So what do we have? We have NBC, CBS, ABC and Fox. Those four entities last year combined had revenue of $92.7 billion. Now, keep in mind that they aren't just television uh, stations. They also own some of the major movie studios, like Universal is owned as a subsidiary. Uh, you know, ABC owns Disney. so all of Disney stuff. ABC also owns ESPN. So, I mean, we're talking like a lot of things that these companies own. billion in revenue. Or how about this? How many of you went to a concert last year? Anybody go to like a concert, whether it was a, a rap concert, a rock concert, a country concert, classical music? How many of you went to some sort of concert of some sort? Okay, a lot of you did. Last year, every concert, so think of all the concerts that happen in the United States. And I mean, we're literally talking probably dozens a day. Combined revenue last year, $3.1 billion. It's a lot of money. Or think of this with sports, our four major leagues. What do we have? We have Major League Baseball, we have the NFL, we have the NBA, and we have the NHL. A lot of people go to games. How many of you went to a game last year of some sort of professional team? Yeah, some of you did. Combined revenue of all four of the major leagues uh, last year, $30.1 billion. lot of money that we spend on entertainment. Again, look, look at those numbers. $92.7 billion for all of the network TVs and all the subsidiaries that they own. $3.1 billion for all the concerts that we went to. $30.1 billion for all the revenue that these teams take in from ticket sales and, and jersey sales and all that kind of stuff. However, did you know that last year in the United States alone, $97.3 billion was spent on pornography? Look at those numbers again. Pornography alone, more than all of the networks and everything that they own combined. 30 times more money was spent on pornography last year than on all the concerts that were attended. Three times more than all the, the major sports leagues. Isn't that staggering? By the way, the, the, the number is actually coming down. Was last, or 97.3 was last year. It's actually coming down. You know why? Because there's so much free stuff that people can get now. But yet it still outpaced all these other industries. Now, that number doesn't even include the over $1 billion that was spent on websites that helped to facilitate people having an affair. Did you know that in the United States last year, that $9.4 billion was spent Taxpayer dollars for teenage pregnancy. $9.4 billion. Increased health care costs. Increased costs for foster care. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Sex and the misuse of sex is a big, big business. But, you know, instead of us shaking our heads at all these big, bad corporations and all these websites and stuff out there that are exploiting us, we've got to stop and remember this. Nobody's forcing any of it on us. Nobody's forcing you to look at pornography. Nobody forces a young teenage girl to get pregnant. Nobody forces somebody to have an affair. Each one of these things comes back to an individual choice that somebody made. And so here's what I want you to understand. Put it on your outline this way. Bad moral decisions are usually usually preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Say that again. Bad moral decisions are usually preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Now, notice I said unwise decisions. I didn't say sinful decisions. Now, now bad moral decisions, they're usually sinful. But what I said was it's preceded by unwise decisions decisions. Maybe some of them were sinful, but maybe not. Many times it was just a bunch of unwise decisions that when you kept adding them up, adding them up, adding them up, all of a sudden it got you to the place where now you did step across the line. You made a bad, moral, sinful decision of some sort. Now again, we, we can apply this to all types of morality. It isn't just sexual things, Right? That if you become an alcoholic, it isn't because you just one day woke up and said, hey, I want to become an alcoholic. No, what was it? It was a series of unwise decisions over and over and over again that led to you doing that. If you start embezzling money from work or something, you don't just show up the first day at work and start embezzling money. At least most of you don't, right? Uh, you know, it, it's a series of unwise decisions that you made over and over and over again. Let's use an affair as an example. Let's actually play this out and and see what it looks like. Again, many people, the the way they talk themselves into doing things is they go, well, there's nothing wrong with fill in the blank. And so when it it comes to affairs, did you know that most affairs are workplace-related affairs? And if you think about it, it makes sense because That's where you would spend the most time with somebody of the opposite sex that's not your spouse. And so, like, it's like three-quarters of all affairs are workplace related. And again, what happens is you don't come in to, to work and you meet a new co-worker, and like later that night you're in bed with them. I'm sure that probably happens occasionally. But here's here's how it typically goes. You have somebody at work and you're like, you know, there's nothing wrong with going out alone with this person to have lunch. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they've got to eat. I've got to eat. What's wrong with eating? I mean, Gilbert probably eats lunch. He's a pastor. Yeah. No, that, I, I appreciate that, Zach. Of, he, did you hear that? He said he probably reads his Bible all the time. I wish I could say that was true, buddy. But, <laughs> wow, man, it's that convicting, right? But uh, <laughs> Actually, well, we, we'll talk about that later, Zach, all right? Uh, why it's actually not a good idea to actually read your Bible all the time, all right? There, there's, there's some other things we've got to do than just sit and read God's Word. But anyway, um, but, but you come up with these things of, you know, it's just lunch, There's nothing wrong with lunch, right? And then you'll say things like, there's nothing wrong with like staying after work with this person and and, and working with them. I mean, all the rest of the slackers, they went home. We're just trying to be good employees. There's nothing wrong with staying late and working together. Nothing wrong with that. Then we'll say things like, you know, there's nothing wrong in confiding in this person. Sharing, you know, uh, what's going on in my life and and some deeper emotional things. And, you know, maybe I'll even share some of the problems I'm having at home with my spouse. There's nothing wrong with confiding in someone. I mean, think about it. I get to confide in them for free. I mean, if, if I don't confide in them, I, I would have to, like, go to a counselor and think about how much money it's going to cost to have a counselor. And so I'm actually being a good steward of God's money because, you know, I, I'm getting this free counseling from this person instead of going to a counselor. I mean, this must be God's will. Or then we'll say, you know, nothing wrong with just dropping by their house. I, yeah, I, their spouse isn't there, but there's nothing wrong with dropping by. I mean, as a kid, I mean... We would just drop by people's house all the time. I mean, dad's like, hey, let's just drop by so-and-so's house. And we just drop by. Nothing wrong with dropping by. Nothing wrong with that. Or say, you know, there's nothing wrong with a a shoulder rub. Because our boss... Oh man, our boss—he is so mean and so rude, and it's so stressful around the office. You know, I'm just helping with productivity because you know, if my coworker here, you know, if they're more relaxed, they're going to get more work done. There's nothing wrong with a shoulder rub. See, we 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 justify, don't we? That well, there's nothing wrong with you fill in the blank. Again, none of those things in and of themselves are sinful. They're just not wise. I want you to take yourself out of the situation for a second. Imagine you had a friend, and you were observing their life, and you noticed that, you know what, they're going out to eat a lot with this person of the opposite sex that's not their spouse, and they're really emotionally bonding with one another, and I know that they're dropping by each other's house when their spouses aren't there, and I see them, like, touching each other occasionally. You would say... There's nothing wrong with it, but something just doesn't feel right about it either, right? As you'd observe this, you'd be like, it's not wrong, but it seems like they're going down a slippery slope, that if they continue down this path, it's going to lead to a place that they don't want to be. It's going to lead to a lot of pain and heartache and regret. Now, I know some of you are going, but I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't crossed the line that I shouldn't have crossed. You're right. You're right. Maybe you haven't. But again, as followers of Jesus, our goal, and I've said this before, isn't to get like up as close to the line as we can without falling over the edge. It's not to say, how close can I get to sin but still be good with Jesus? That's not the goal. The goal is get as far away from the edge as you possibly can. Because as we get away from the edge, that's when we become more and more like Jesus. See, if you're living right up here at the edge, eventually you're going to step over. And and let me say this. When it comes to, like, living on the edge, there's some things you want to live on the edge with. If you're on a diet and you're counting calories and you have, like, 1,300 calories a day that you're allowed to eat, live on the edge. Eat all 1,300. If your curfew is midnight, don't come home at 10.30. Come home at 11.55, 11.57. I mean, get right to the edge, but don't cross over the edge. If you're supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock, don't show up at 6.30. <laughs> Push it a little bit. Still be early. Don't, don't be late, but I mean, come, come right up to the edge, you know. 7.57, you know, you come rolling in. So there's certain things you can live on the edge. But here's what you need to understand. If you go over your calories, if you're a couple minutes late from your curfew, you're a couple minutes late to work, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done it. But lasting consequences, usually, they're not going to be lasting consequences. However, when it comes to your morality, you step over the edge, that's something that's going to impact you for you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. That's something you can't take back. You've gone too far. And so we all have to be smart enough and wise enough to say, you know what, I can spot it in other people's lives when they're too close to the edge that I go, "Eh, it's not wrong, but it just doesn't seem right either. You can spot it in other people's lives. You need to be wise enough to spot it in your own life as well. And the other thing is, we've got to be smart enough and wise enough to say, you know, when it comes to what is the wise thing for me to do when it comes to my sexuality and when it comes to my morality, it's not to say, well, what do I think is best? No, we've got to be wise enough to say, what does God say is best? And so I want to look at this this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to hang out this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What we're going to read here is something that was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, I've shared some of uh, Paul's story before, but as you're continuing to turn, let me give you a little bit of context. Paul, after he becomes a follower of Jesus, if you remember, he starts traveling, and he's going, and he's leading people to Jesus, and he's starting new churches in in various cities, and uh, just great things are happening. Well, one of the churches that he started was in the ancient city of Corinth. Now, Corinth is in modern-day Greece. It's about 50 miles to the west of modern-day Athens. And uh, what you got to understand about Corinth in that day and time was, let's just put it this way, it was a very promiscuous city. And and part of the reason for that was they were in idol worship. And as they're worshiping their their idols in in various temples and stuff, uh, they would go in and part of their quote-unquote worship was various sexually promiscuous things. I mean, one of the things they had was, like, prostitutes in the temple. That was considered a part of worship. I mean, I guess you could probably grow a pretty big church, right? If, you know, you're inviting people in. It may not be a great church, but you'd invite people, you know, hey, we got prostitutes if you come, you know. It's... And so this is just a part of their every week normal worship. It's just all this sexual stuff. And so Paul comes into town, and he's leading people to Jesus, and he's starting to talk to them about their their sexuality, and and how they need to bring it more in line with with God's Word, and and what God would have for them, what Jesus wants for them. And he's having a little bit of a a, a problem with it, quite frankly. That's why he has to partially write this letter of 1 Corinthians to him. He actually writes at one point, and he says, hey, I I understand that uh, one of you is sleeping with your, your stepmom. Uh, you, you need to cut that out, all right? Because, again, th- this is just how they had grown up. It was a free-for-all. Do whatever you wanted with whoever you wanted. And so they're, they're trying to figure out this Christian thing, and they're bringing some of these practices into the Christian church. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 no, we, we, we can't do this. And so he wants to give them something that it's going to sort of give them a guideline for, all right, what, what do we need to do in order to become more and more like Jesus in this particular area of our lives? And so he says this to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, the, the very first part of the, the verse. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, this is fascinating. I looked up the little Greek word there that we translate as flee. And, and here's how it's, the, the best translation of the word flee is actually this. Ready? Flee! That, that's what it means. It, it's, it's flee. That's, that's it. You've you got to get away from it. Don't get up to the line. Get away from the line. you got to flee from sexual immorality. Don't stay around it anymore. Get away from it. Now, Here's what's interesting when it comes to fleeing. Husbands, when it comes to your wife and, and even the appearance of an inappropriate relationship, you want your wife to flee, don't you? You don't want her staying around that. Wives, with your husbands, you want them to flee when they're tempted by pornography. Right? You know, uh, let's think about uh, somebody that's dating. Now, you you shouldn't be having sexual relations if you're only dating. That's reserved for marriage. But if if you're dating, you're hoping that maybe one day that's going to lead towards marriage. And don't you want your significant other to, to flee when they're tempted? Right? You, you want that. Or, or think about this. Teenage boys. I mean, teenage boys are just a ball of hormones, right? I mean, they're just, pooh, they're, they're ready to go. But even a teenage boy full of hormones wants his 13-year-old sister to flee from sexual immorality. Doesn't this make us a hypocrite in some ways? Because we want everybody that we love to flee from sexual immorality, but yet for ourselves we're like, I'm eh, not so sure. I'm not so sure that it's right for me. I mean, yeah, everybody else, you, you guys flee, but, but me, I'm a little different. See how that makes you a hypocrite? So Paul says, you've got to flee from sexual immorality. Then he goes on, second part of verse 18. He says, all other sins that a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, we talked about this in our, our previous series. That Paul here puts sexual sin in a category all of its own. He says, look, This is this is some bad stuff. Now we talked about it in the the previous series as well. It doesn't make it any more unforgivable, but he says, "Look, the impact that it's going to have emotionally, psychologically, spiritually—it's huge. You've got to flee from this. You don't play around with this one. This is bad stuff." Now, when I say that, let me, let me make this clear. In case you're here today and maybe you're a, a teenager and you're trying to figure out, you know, what's God's design for me in the, in the future. Or maybe you're here and, and you're not really familiar with the Bible and stuff and you think that, well, God must be against sex and stuff. Look, 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 look. God isn't against sex. God is the inventor of sex. God's all for sex. But he said, there are some guidelines that I want you to stay within. See, like any good invention, you've got to go to the inventor of the invention to say how do you use this thing? And so that's how it is with sex. We've got to go to the inventor, the, the creator of it and say, God, tell me, what, what is the best plan for this? How can I get the most out of this beautiful gift that you've given us? And see, in the same way that like a, a parent like tells their child to, to do certain things and sets certain boundaries, it isn't because they don't love their child. It's because they do love their child that they set those boundaries. That they say, stay within these boundaries and, and, and you're free to roam within those boundaries as much as you want. Have fun within the boundaries, but don't stray outside because it's gonna bring disaster to your life. And God does the exact same way with, with the thing with sex. There's lots and lots that is said in this book about sex. And a lot of it's the, the good stuff of you know, the inside, the, the 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 boundaries and stuff that you're like, can we do that or not? And God's like, yeah, do it. But he also says there's some things outside of the lines that you shouldn't be doing. So things like homosexuality, things like looking at pornography, things like having sex with somebody that's not your spouse, whether it's because you're already married and you're having an affair or that you're not married. You shouldn't be having sex either. And again, here's the deal. In, in, In America, we've tried to make homosexuality like, it's the big sin. Oh, it's like, oh, you sinners. It's not the big sin. It is a sin. It's a sexual sin. And then like Paul says, it's, it, it's bad. You, you shouldn't be doing it. It's, it's going to be worse for you. But no worse than looking at pornography. No worse than, uh, you know, having an affair. No worse than having sex outside of marriage before you're married. It's all sin. And it's all going to hurt you. So Paul's saying, look, you've got to flee from it. It's going to hurt you. See, again, sex has this this ripple effect in our lives. When we sin sexually a year down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, you still feel the effects of sexual sin. You know, I've been a pastor now for 16-plus years. And, you know, by my own estimation or so, I would say that probably 75% or so of every counseling session that I have to sit and do with someone Somewhere in that story, there's sexual sin involved. Again, 75% of all the counseling that I do, somewhere along the way, there's some sort of sexual sin. Again, God is going, man, this is a beautiful gift that I've given you, and I want you to enjoy the gift. But please, please, please stay within the guidelines, within the boundaries that I've given you. Don't get up close to the edge because you're going to eventually fall over, and it is going to hurt. This isn't like you were late for your curfew. This isn't like, you know, you went a couple calories over. This is something that's going to hurt you for many, many, many years. So flee from it. Make wise decisions. And again, God loves you enough that he'll forgive anything that you do, but the consequences of what you do are still going to be there. Verse 19 then, Paul continues, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. I, I love the imagery that he's using there. Because remember, these were people that for years there in the city of Corinth, they had used sex as a part of their worship. They had gone to the the temple and and all these idols and stuff, and and they had, had done all these sexually promiscuous things. And Paul's reminding them here, he's like, look, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his grace and because of his forgiveness, you are now forgiven of all that stuff that you did. But here's the other cool thing. His Spirit now lives inside of you. And Paul's saying, look, in the same way that you no longer go to the the pagan temples and, and worship there and do sexually promiscuous things there, you're no longer going to the temple to do that. He's going, look, realize that God's Spirit lives in you. Your body is now the temple. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, He made it available now that all of us have access to the Spirit. The Spirit no longer lives in a building that's made by people's hands. God does not dwell within this building that we call here Exponential Church. This isn't God's home. This is just where we gather to to worship Him. But God doesn't live here. This room isn't any other special than any other room that you're in. It's no more special than your car that you drive in, your bedroom, your living room, your office cubicle. No more special. Why? Because God lives in us as followers of Jesus. Our body is the temple. And so Paul's saying, in the same way that you're no longer going to the temple, the the physical building, and doing bad sexual things, don't allow bad sexual things to happen in your body either. He says, here's the goal. Here's the goal. It's in verse 20. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. That is a way different standard than simply, is this right? Is this legal? Is this something that, you know, I'll get caught doing? Is this something that will get me pregnant? That's the wrong question to be asking. What we need to ask is a much better question. Is what I'm about to do something that is going to honor God with my body, with His temple. And again, there's going to be some things that maybe it won't even be sinful, but yet at the same time, it just doesn't seem right because it's not wise and it isn't going to honor God with your body. So this is the standard that that we need to have. Does this honor God or not? Again, if if you'll do this, I believe that over the next year you're going to have less pain, you're going to have less regret. Your view of yourself is going to be better. Your emotional state is going to be better. Your relationships are going to be better. And listen, this isn't going to be easy. I mean, we live in a, a day and a time, a culture where Again, between movies and, and music and, and television, they try to like just paint as normal all these things that God says, no, 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 that's painting outside the lines. So what's what's normal on television is, oh well, you know, you have your, your gay friend and then they're good, you know, they're they're like everybody else, or, or oh, this person's you know committing adultery, it's not a big deal. Oh, this person's involved with pornography, not a big deal. This person's doing this, that, or the other. You know, premarital sex, you see that all the time. I mean, sometimes you watch, like, these romantic comedies and stuff, and, and, and it, there's part of you that's rooting for them to hook up because emotionally you're involved in the story. But yet, that's not God's standard. And so our, our society is trying to, to tell us one thing. God's Word is saying something completely different. And the question you have to ask is, who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust all these big entertainment things that are just trying to make a buck off of me? Or am I going to trust a loving God who has my very best interests at heart? You're going, Gilbert, it's going to be be hard. Gilbert, you, you, you probably don't understand. I mean, you don't even live in the real world. What? Think just because you become a pastor that all of a sudden you're exempt from temptation? You think that I have like the the cable package that has, it's like, oh, you, you buy the tier one package, the tier two package, the tier three package, or you can buy the pastor package. And, and like all the, the Victoria's Secrets commercials, they're not even in there. And, and you know, all the premium channels, that are not even an option for you. And they like automatically blur out things you shouldn't see and you know, things you shouldn't hear. No, I live in the real world. My computer can get the porn just as easy as yours can. I live in the real world just like you do. But we got to make wise decisions. We got to make better choices. We need to get away from the line. Yeah, you know, I've I've told you, you know, in in the past before I became a Christian, I struggled with pornography, and then I became a Christian. I thought, okay, I'm just automatically going to get delivered from that, and it took me a little while. And so I I, I had to get as far away from the line as possible. So you know, we got filters, and we got you know uh, accountability reports, and all kinds of things that that keep me accountable. Because I do live in the real world. I am tempted like you are. But I made a decision. I'm not going to try to stay as close to the line as I can and hopefully not stumble over. I'm going to get far away from that line. You need to do the exact same thing as well in whatever ways that maybe you're tempted. And here's the interesting thing about our society. Again, our society is is luring you to be sexually promiscuous and, and do all kinds of things that you shouldn't do. They bait you almost with all the stuff that's out there. But then guess who's the very first one that tears you down when you step across the line? The same culture and society that builds you up. I mean, think about all the people, like famous people and stuff, that society builds them up, and then as soon as they do something wrong, what do they do? They tear them right back down. And in some ways, society wants to do the exact same thing with you as well. And so you have got to pre-decide what is it that I'm going to do in order to make sure that I'm honoring God with my body. Now, notice I said pre-decide. And notice I said that you need to write it down. You need to have a game plan for what you're going to do. Ladies, next time that he's trying to get in your pants, what are you going to do? What is your response? Guys, next time you're tempted by porn, what is your response? What you know? Write it down. Write it down. Did you know that you're 20 times more likely to, to follow through on a goal if you actually have it written down? 20 times more likely. You've got to write it down. Go home this week. Write down your plan for honoring God with your body. Of what you're going to do to stay pure. Again, I know many of you are... Objecting, You're saying, Gilbert, you don't live in the real world. And you know what you're saying? You're saying this. You're going, Gilbert, nobody else lives this way. Nobody else is trying to honor God with their body. Nobody else I know is not trying to cross the line. Nobody else I know is trying to stay pure. Nobody else is asking what's the wise thing to do. But you know what? It goes beyond that. It's just not that you're going, well, nobody else lives this way, and that I, you know, here's what you're really saying. Nobody else lives this way, and I want to be like everybody else. That's what you're really saying. You're saying, I I, I want to be like everybody else, but I've said this to you before. Why in the world would you want to be like everybody else? Where 50% of our marriages, or nearly 50% of our marriages end in divorce. Why would you want to be like that? Why would you want to be addicted like everybody else? Why would you want to have all the struggles that people have when it comes to sexual purity and all the pain and heartache and regret just like everybody else? Why? Why do you want to be like everybody else? When God says, look, I created you uniquely. I have a plan for you. I have purpose for you. There's something in this world that I have set apart just for you to do. Only you can accomplish this. Why would you want to be like everybody else? See, God believes that you're better than that. I believe that you're better than that. And I hope and pray that you start to believe that you are better than that as well. That I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be set apart for God. You know what's being set apart for God is? What the actual quote-unquote religious term for that is? It's the word holy. God says it, and, and Jesus quotes it as well. says, you know what? Be holy just as I am holy. Does this mean you're going to be perfect? No, it doesn't. But our goal, again, isn't to stay as close to the line and just simply not cross it. Our goal is to get away from the line. To become more and more and more like Jesus. We don't want to be like everybody else. You're going Gilbert. Go over it, It's extreme. Yeah, it is. It is. But again, God thinks you're worth it. I think you're worth it. I pray you think you're worth it as well. So here's the, here's the way we can reframe our question that we're asking throughout this series. In light of my past experiences my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do morally that will honor God with my body? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for once again having an opportunity to gather together to worship you and to look at your word. And Lord, you know, any time the, the topic of sex comes up, people, they get touchy about it, they uncomfortable talking about it, but we shouldn't be, God, because this was your invention, and, and, and you said there's much joy in it. It is a gift that you've given to us. So as followers of yours, we should be celebrating this gift. But yet, God, like anything, we, we need to know what is the best way to handle this gift that you've given us, this great invention. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as Your Spirit has been speaking to some people here this morning and maybe convicting in in certain areas, that, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of Your Word, we would be doers of Your Word. That we would actually go home and we would write out a game plan for what am I going to do the next time I'm tempted to do something sexually that doesn't honor God with my body. And that, Lord, each and every time we're, we're, again, tempted, that Your Holy Spirit would remind us that, no, 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 don't forget what You've written down. There's a better plan. There's there's a better purpose for your life. Don't give in to this because crossing this line may bring consequences that are going to impact you for many, many years to come. Lord, help us to be wiser than that. Help us to understand that you've got a, a great plan for us and that you're not giving us these guidelines because you're a big meanie. You're doing it because you're a loving Father. Help us to acknowledge that each and every day, that Jesus, you are our Abba, Father, Daddy, God. That you want a relationship with us. A relationship where you forgive us when we do make mistakes. But a relationship where you also give us the power that we don't have ourselves to walk in holiness to stay far away from that line. So Lord, help us again to be obedient to your Spirit each and every time that you give us that choice of here's the wise thing to do. Again, not the legal thing, not the moral thing, not the, the, you know, the right thing, not the what can I get away with thing, but the wise thing. What is the wise thing, God, for me to do in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams. What is the wise thing for me to do? Lord, help that to be the, the thing that we say over and over and over again in order to live the life that you'd have us to live. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.